We're looking in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 this morning. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, adulterers, unjust, extortioners, or even as, as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I am the Pharisee. Have you ever read that passage and thought that? I am the Pharisee. We don't really want to think that, do we? We want to justify ourselves. We want to make ourselves look better. But the Pharisee, he was a religious leader held in high regard by the common people. In Jesus' time, he was dedicated to the law of Moses. He encouraged the people to observe the Sabbath, daily prayers, and synagogue worship. He protected the people of Israel from foreign idols and kept them focused on the one true God. The Pharisee was the man in this passage most people would admire and identify with. In fact, as you heard the Pharisee praying there, you might have had the urge to stand up and clap, right? The tax collector, on the other hand, was just a dishonest, greedy traitor. He was a freelance contractor who had bought the right to collect revenue for the Roman Empire, and he made a living through the extortion of the people. He had the reputation of a renegade and traitor, helping a foreign power oppress his people. So Jesus, he starts this with what almost sounds like a joke, right? Two men walk into a temple to pray. But he says, one went away justified, the other went away condemned. No one was laughing at that punchline. You could say, two men walked into a temple to pray, a Southern Baptist pastor and a lawyer, or whatever, right? You want to put it in today's context, it could be someone who is prominent in society and someone who is a common sinner. And the people did not expect to hear that ending. This is what he taught about in Matthew 12 when he said that a tree is known by its fruit. He said there are two kinds of people, justified and condemned, and you have it all wrong. He said you will know them by their fruit. It's about what's in your heart, your attitude. So let's be clear. What does it mean to be justified? You may have heard this word before and thought it was something good, but to be justified means to be declared innocent or guiltless, to be shown to be right, to defend our actions as warranted, to be vindicated, validated, excused. And we all want to be that, right? Whether we're guilty or not, we want to be justified. 
We justify ourselves whether we're guilty or not. We give excuses to make ourselves look better. And children do this all the time, right? Parents, you know. You ask, did you hit your little sister? And what's the answer? Well, yeah, but she hit me first. Or she wasn't doing what I was asking her to do, so I clubbed her over the head with a book, right? My actions are warranted, they want to argue. To be justified before God, though, means that my sins are taken off my record and I am made righteous. And because of this, I'm given the gift of eternal life in heaven with God. Condemnation, on the other hand, means to be officially declared guilty, deserving punishment. And it means that without Christ, I'm judged by God as deserving eternal punishment in hell, separated from him. Big contrast. One went home justified, the other went home condemned. And so these two men coming to the temple, they were coming to be justified. One based his justification on merit, the other based his justification on God's mercy. And the story does not go as the people would have expected. It becomes personal. It becomes convicting. And this morning, I want you to ask yourself, does my life reflect merit or mercy? What is my attitude? And I'm going to look at just three things that you can learn from this parable regarding your need to be justified before God. And they're listed in your bulletin. The first is that you need to admit your need to yourself. We must first come to terms with our need. If you thought about your need, how do we know what we need? Well, it's in Scripture. If you look at it, you begin to see who you are. And thank goodness we have salvation in Christ because this is who we are apart from Christ. It says in Isaiah 64, 5 and 6, that God is indeed angry for we have sinned. In these ways we continue. And so we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The good that we do is still filthy. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. No exception. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. That's where we stand. And so there are no exceptions. We are all sinners needing to be justified. You know, we can make the mistake of fooling ourselves into thinking we are good. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we read that our hearts are deceitful. And believe it or not, your own heart can fool you into thinking you are good. Don't make that mistake. Don't delude yourself into thinking you are good. There's a story of a woman who made an appointment with her pastor to talk about a besetting sin about which she was worried. So she comes in, talks to the pastor, and says, I've become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I'm at church, I look around at the other women and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others even compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, Ma'am, that's not a sin. That's just a mistake. <laughs> we can be mistaken, right? I love the delayed laughs. That's even funnier. When we don't recognize our need, we allow what? Pride 
to inflate our opinion of self, we make the mistake of seeing our goodness as deserving of righteousness. I am the Pharisee. I do this. We need to beware of pride. Author David Rhodes wrote that the danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. If you think about that, what better place for pride to hang around than right here in church? We have a room full of goodness here, right? Yes. And that's not a bad thing, don't get me wrong. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is praiseworthy character and moral excellence as demonstrated in our actions. But we must keep in mind that our goodness comes from God's mercy in our lives, not our merit. It's for his glory, not our own. And if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't recognize that our hearts are deceitful, we can become like that Pharisee who let his pride feed on his goodness and then in deceiving our own selves, we think of ourselves as sufficient. I don't need anything, right? Again, I love children because they're great illustrations. Children do this with parents all the time. They want to do things their way. They are stubborn, prideful. They know how to do it. They don't want help, right? I have a daughter who's this way. And I'm not going to name any names, but she was recently acquired from Ethiopia. She is stubborn, She can be on the floor crying, kicking and screaming, tears streaming down her face because she can't tie her shoe. And she doesn't want help. She wants to do it her way. She wants to figure out how to do it. She's stubborn. And it would be hilarious if it wasn't so heartbreaking to watch her struggle, not willing to admit her need for help. The Pharisee had not admitted his need to himself. He was at the temple to feed his pride with his own goodness. You see, he's at a dangerous place standing before God saying, I'm good, I'm worthy, I'm excused, I am sufficient. It's a dangerous place to be. John MacArthur writes of this and describes it as a damning and misguided hope to place your trust in a righteousness that comes from your own goodness. Strong words. It is damning for you. It is damning for others around you, people. In Matthew 23, we read about Jesus as he warns the scribes and Pharisees that in their hypocrisy, they were not only shutting the kingdom of heaven to themselves, but also not allowing those around them to enter. It's bad enough to stand in the doorway, unwilling to go in, but to hold people back. Be careful. And so this is convicting because Speaking of our responsibility as leaders, we are to be worthy examples to those around us. To admit we are needy individuals relying on God's mercy. That means husbands, parents, men. What attitude do you want those around you to have? What attitude do you want your children to have? Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Merit or mercy? Show them how it's done. The tax collector, on the other hand, had admitted his need to himself and his need for justification before God. He came ready, willing, asking God. He was aware of his position, and he knew that he deserved the punishment for his sin, but he knew something else. He knew that God is a God of mercy. He knew where to go. So I'm going to ask you this morning, what keeps you from admitting your need 
to yourself, your need for God's mercy? Are you basing your attitude on merit or mercy? Your own goodness or God's grace? And I have some homework for you this morning. You love that, right? I hope you don't go home every week and think, oh, that was a nice sermon. Can't wait till next week. Here's your homework. Point number one, be needy. Go home this week, work hard at being needy. Think you can do that? How do you do that? Read scripture. Ask God to help you. Do the work it takes to have that attitude of need. Second thing we can learn about our need is that you must submit your need to God. Did you notice the Pharisee, when he prayed, he didn't ask for a single thing from God. He came to the temple to pray because he thought God needed him. He might as well have asked, God, why don't you come work for me? I'll get this kingdom thing going on its way, and you just do whatever it is that you do. He might as well have said that. In the book, When People Are Big and God is Small, it's a great book to read. David Welch, he writes of this process, and I'm going to read it to you because he does a good job of describing this. He says, we concentrate on actions and overlook attitudes. By doing this, our sinful nature can give us a sense that we are okay. We have not killed today. We have not been adulterous. We have not stolen anything from the store. Therefore, we had a good day. Better yet, we had a good day, and we are good. Of course, we occasionally do bad things. We might yell too loudly, or we might pick up some pornography at the airport. In these cases, we should ask God's forgiveness. But on the whole, we tend to be fairly good. And if we think we are usually good, then God is usually irrelevant. I am the Pharisee. Has God become irrelevant? Be careful that you don't think of God as usually irrelevant. God is always relevant, people. When we recognize this, we recognize that God is the only one who saves. In our condition, he alone can supply your need. In John 3.16, and I love this because this is a conversation with a Pharisee, Nicodemus, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's supplying our need. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are undeserving, but his mercy is there for all who seek. We sang about this earlier. I called you answered. God's mercy is available. There's a story of seeking mercy that goes back to 1812 when uh, Napoleon was leading the French invasion of Russia. And a French soldier's mother approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a capital offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son doesn't deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sire, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it, and mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor thoughtfully answered, I will have mercy, and he spared the woman's son. 
Just like the woman, the tax collector knew where to get mercy. He came to God with his need, begging for mercy with a broken attitude. He didn't say, I'm usually good. He said, I'm a sinner. And he submitted his need to God, broken, asking for mercy. So let me give you a suggestion this morning. Pray this prayer. Pray it today. Pray it often. Pray it daily. Come to God every day and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God is always relevant, and he's inviting us to come to him with our need. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Come to me, all you who labor. I will give you rest. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's God's invitation. So, what keeps you from submitting your need to God? Are you basing your attitude on merit or mercy? Here's your homework. Be broken. Be needy, number one. Be broken, number two. The third thing we can learn about our need is that we must exhibit our need to others. So this has to do with our daily life, even our life here at church. Think about the Pharisees' attitude toward others. Did you catch that? It says that they despised others. He had contempt for others. This is a natural process. If we don't admit our need, if we don't come to God with our need, if we see ourselves as good, we're going to look at others and despise them. The Pharisees should have prayed, God, I am like other men, sinners before God, needing to be justified. Instead, he pointed out his goodness, offered it to God, and despised others because of it. Again, I am the Pharisee. So ask yourself, who do I despise? Is it a certain kind of sinner? Who do you look down on? Is it someone of a certain social status? Who do I treat with contempt? Are they in the room here? Is it that annoying church member? But in light of what God has done for you, what right do you have to despise others? But we do, right? I do. And why do I do that? Because I think of myself as better. We hide our pride, we hide our need in our pride as we relate with others. So as you're talking, you're not aware of your own need. We might even go a step further and say, but what if I am better, right? What if I really am? I mean, there's just no bones about it. I just am. Let me list the reasons why I'm better. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Sounding familiar? I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. So I am better. Goodness, goodness, goodness. And what does pride feed on? goodness. What's the answer to this, though? If, if, if you do admit you do this, what's the answer? Scripture teaches you to consider others as better than yourself. 
Ouch, right? How in the world? Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Consider in your attitude toward others that they are better than you. That is hard to swallow. That's what God expects of us. It's so difficult to do. And the only way you're going to succeed is by exhibiting your need to others. Having an attitude based on God's mercy in your life. That means being transparent to others and to yourself. It means in your conversations, in your interaction, you have that need of mercy right there before you. It's as if you had this sandwich board strapped to your chest and everywhere you go, you recognize that you have this thing, this need for mercy in your life. And as you relate with one another with that in mind, you can think of others as better than yourself. You can have that attitude towards them of mercy. The tax collector returned home with a changed heart because he based his attitude on mercy And we see in Luke 3 that as John was preaching, some tax collectors came to him and they asked him, out of repentance, what should we do? And John told them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. He said, stop fleecing the people. Your need prompts life change. And I want you to think about that this week. What is changing in my life? What's keeping you from changing your attitude towards those you despise? I've been thinking about this myself. And that's the great thing about preaching. It's easiest to preach to yourself. But what keeps you from exhibiting your need to others? Are you basing your attitude on merit or mercy? So here's your homework. Be submissive. That's it. So what's your response today? We have those three three things about our need. We have those three points for our homework. What's your response? Your merit or his mercy? Have you admitted your need to yourself and is it reflected in your attitude? Job recognized this, who he was without Christ. He says, how then can man be righteous before God or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? That puts you in your place, doesn't it? Be needy. Number two, have you submitted your need to God with an attitude of brokenness? James 4.10 teaches, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Be humble. Number three, do you exhibit your need to others with an attitude of submission, considering others as better than yourself? 1 Peter 5, 5 teaches us, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So be submissive. One day, you see, we will all stand before God. We're gonna have the chance to, just like the Pharisee and the tax collector, give an excuse Give a reason why God should have mercy on us. The gospel is that we are justified through Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. It is transferred to my record. So when I stand before God and give my excuse, it will be because of Jesus Christ that I can claim his mercy. What will you claim? And today, ask yourself, what does my life reflect in my attitude? What does my life reflect in my relationship with God? And what does my life reflect in my interaction with others? Does it reflect my merit or his mercy? Let me pray for us. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help us be needy. Help us be humble. Help us be submissive as our attitudes reflect your mercy to us. And we pray this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening.